It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. Right COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show, and a busy one it is. Coming up uh, in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with Robert McLaughlin and uh, Sally Perry, the co-authors of a book that looks at American theater during World War II called Broadway Goes to War. And if there's time, we're going to play a little or pay a little homage uh, to... Uh, Back to the Bricks, which uh, kicked off um, its visionary promo tour uh, this uh, this morning, um, and we're going to have some uh, an excerpt rather from when uh, Joel By from the Blue Hawaiians co-hosted with me doing a remote broadcast from Back to the Bricks, and uh, in the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to have uh, television historian. Uh, Scott Ryan talking about his new book, Moonlighting, an oral history, looking at uh, that TV, 80s TV icon. But this first hour, we're going to talk a little bit about road rage. We're going to bring back an interview from 2000, or from last year, rather, uh, with Adrian Woodruff from the uh, AAA. But we're also going to look at women in comics. So stay tuned for that. We're going to kick things off right now.
Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. AAA is, uh, well, they celebrated their 100th anniversary in 2016. Um, and from time to time, I get uh, uh, press releases and things, and I try and share some of that with you. Um, a, a recent uh, survey done by AAA suggests, and and I have to say I'm not entirely shocked by this, but men are more aggressive behind the wheel. And we're going to talk about that and some other things about driving and driving tips with um, Adrian Woodland from uh, AAA, who joins me now by phone. Hi, Adrian. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thank you for having me. Were you as shocked as uh, I am that uh, men were found to be more aggressive behind the wheel? Oh, personally, I was not. I was actually not surprised <laughs> either. I wasn't either, but there were some interesting things in the survey. Um, for example, um, speeding is, is being one of the more aggressive behaviors. And women really aren't that far behind men when it comes to that. No, and actually that was one of the things, parts of the survey that actually did surprise me, is although you know the percentages for men were higher, the women were not lagging very far behind. For instance, when it comes to speeding, um, one of the areas was driving 15 miles over the speed limit on a freeway. 52% of males uh, admitted that they had done that, whereas almost 45% of females admitted. So it's you know it's not it's a very small difference uh, between males and females in a category like speeding. Now I was uh let's see one of the uh one of the areas I was kind of interested in was the making of rude gestures or honking at <laughs> other drivers and I can only assume that that means men are more likely to flip someone off than women but I was surprised that women 28% of them might honk yeah. or make a rude gesture I thought that was kind of high for women yeah, I, I was actually surprised at that myself as well. Uh, and on the men's side, it's a little over 35% for that same. And I thought that uh, seemed a little low. <laughs> well. That, that's just my reaction to it, Adrian. <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't really looking for a comment. I just, um, it's, it's just my opinion. But, mm-hmm. but, that, but that stems from the fact that People are taking their stresses into the car with them more mm-hmm. now than I ever remember. Um, it, it seems like people are kind of uptight when they're driving. Is that, do, do you kind of get the same sense or is there a, a survey that, that backs that up? Yeah, you know, one of the things that we found with this survey is regardless of gender, nearly 8 in 10 Americans, or 79%, have demonstrated aggressive behaviors behind the wheel, whether it's speeding, red light running, and cutting other drivers off. It can kill you, your passengers, and others on the roadway. Driving aggressively isn't worth the risk. When you get behind the wheel, drivers need to be patient, be kind, and obey traffic laws so that everyone gets home safely. Here's here's one that I think we've maybe we've all done at one time or another. I know I certainly have. Um, it's it's considered aggressive driving 
to switch lanes quickly and or very close behind another car or or I would assume in front of as well. Um, and, and I have found myself doing that because all of a sudden I'm surprised my exit has come up on the expressway. And so I, I try to, to thread the needle and get over to the lane I need to be in to, to use the exit. And I have cut people off, not, not intentionally, but just at the last minute, just scrambling. I sort of panicked. Um, I imagine everybody has done that at a time at one time or another but really the right thing to do is to just go ahead and bite the bullet go down to the the next exit turn around come back and then get off at the exit right yes certainly and some of the AAA rules of the road um that we provide is you know follow posted speed limits maintain an adequate following distance use your turn signals allow others to merge uh use your high beams responsibly and be considerate in parking lots. Park in one spot, not across multiple spaces, and be careful not to hit cars next to you with your doors. So just some of those things, if you can just remember some of those things, it helps, you know, on the roadway. And certainly if you encounter an aggressive driver on the road or even find your temper rising, remember to slow yourself down, breathe deeply, and safely create distance between you and other motorists. Aggressive drivers are likely not thinking about their potential impact on others until it's too late. Well, yeah, because, you know, a lot of times people will feel like they're they're rushed because they, they have a list of things they want to get done very quickly or they're late for an appointment or something. So they speed. They cut in front of people. They, um, you know, are more apt to... Uh, follow too closely or or um you know drive through a red light i've i've had some turn on me it seems like i was halfway through um but again it's it's stuff that we do when we're not thinking and and the real lesson in this survey is think when you're driving right and Yes, definitely. And, you know, one of the things with this uh, survey coming out when it, you know, at the time of the year that's coming out, holidays are already a stressful time of the year. And it was already stressful enough prior to a pandemic. So this season, we expect tensions are likely to be elevated on the roadways. And we're just trying to warn drivers to avoid aggression when behind the wheel. And some of those aggressive behaviors, like we've already discussed, are speeding, tailgating, red light running, honking, or making rude gestures. Those are just some examples of aggressive behavior. And, you know, AAA encourages drivers to maintain a cool head and focus on reaching their destination safely. And we want to offer a couple of tips to help prevent road rage. First is don't offend. Never cause another driver to change their speed or direction, and that means not forcing another driver to use their brakes or turn the steering wheel in response to something you have done. Second, be tolerant and forgiving. The other driver may just be having a really bad day. Assume that it's not personal. And lastly, do not respond. Avoid eye contact. Don't make gestures. 
maintain space around your vehicle and contact 911 if needed. Yeah, there there may be a time when you come up against another driver who is being very aggressive and and maybe being rude and the answer isn't to flip them off. Definitely and, not. And make them more angry. Um perhaps that's that's a time when you need to you know, just just kind of steer your way out of the situation and and maybe report it to the police if it's aggressive enough. Yes, certainly. Um, do you think because of the pandemic, Adrian, that uh, that maybe there'll be a little less traffic and rushing around as people are maybe shopping more online and and more inclined to stay in? Um, that's certainly a possibility. Uh, You know, the holidays are definitely going to look different than they have in years past. Uh, Even Black Friday looks different with a lot of retailers offering no specials a day earlier and online. So it's possible that you may not have the crowds that you had in years past, uh, but it's also possible that you may see, you know, crowds around the malls and other areas. You know, one thing we tell drivers is, you know, always be alert. Always be alert, know your surroundings, and definitely, you know, let cooler heads prevail. I mentioned earlier that um, that AAA puts out a lot of useful information, and uh, one of the things that comes to mind are the uh, is the tracking of gas prices. And I uh, I get those notices, and I I try to share them from time to time when I can. Um, but what are some of the other uh, reports and, and surveys that AAA does? Well, our AAA, uh, sorry, hold on one second. Um, I'm sorry, our AAA Traffic Safety Foundation does a lot of research like this aggressive driving uh, research. We also do a lot of research when it comes to autonomous vehicles. We do surveys mm. like that, uh, traffic safety we do a lot of information on traffic safety, whether it's distracted driving, uh, impaired driving. So those are some of the, the type of topics that you'll see information from AAA on. And and can the general public access this information? Oh, sure. They can go to AAA.com. It's that easy. Do you have links to all the things? Because I noticed for the um, uh, this aggressive uh, driving survey, you have a uh, Prevent Road Rage uh, page at your website. Yes, yes that's actually AAA.com slash Prevent Road Rage. And, and, there... and you can all... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead, Adrian. No, and also on AAA.com, you can find information about varying surveys that our AAA Traffic Safety Foundation has done over the years and throughout the course of 2020. And gas prices and, and lots more. Um, yes. Adrian, thank you so much for spending a little time to talk about this. And uh, um, happy holidays to you and yours and uh, safe driving. Thank you. That was uh, Adrian Woodland, a spokesperson for uh, AAA, talking about a survey they did, which shockingly says men are more aggressive behind the wheel than women, but not a whole lot more. Anyway, 
Uh, we'll take a uh, short break, and we'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, 
where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my uh, guest this hour is the author of a a new book, the second book in the hit series featuring anti-heroes from the Marvel Universe. She is a New York Times bestselling author, Mackenzie Lee. The book is called Gamora and Nebula. Um, And there's more to that title here. I'll look at the book. Sisters in Arms. I should have remembered that. Anyway, Mackenzie Mackenzie joins me by phone. Hi, Mackenzie. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Tell me about the the series featuring anti-heroes from the Marvel Universe. Sure. So this is the second book. Um, They're not related books other than the fact that the characters all exist in Marvel and all of these sort of tell the origin stories. Of, of some of the more morally gray characters that people know and love from Marvel. So the first one is called Loki, Where Mischief Lies, and is about young teenage Loki solving murder mysteries in Victorian England. Um, and you wrote that. More... I did write that, yes. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure if this was a series featuring um, books by you or yeah, was multiple a, creators. Yeah, because there have been some series lately that, that do that, that are kind of fun, and I thought this might have been one of those. But, no, this is all nope. you. You're stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they, this next one, the new one's about Gamora and Nebula, who most people probably know from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy or from Avengers Infinity War and Endgame as the adopted daughters of uh, the Mad titan thanos who's on a quest to wipe out half of humanity um and yeah the 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 whole series the sort of connected tissue is that they're all about these these more morally ambiguous characters in marvel um as as young people and as as sort of the to having sort of the formative experiences in their lives that are going to shape who they are when we when we see them in their their best known iterations how how did Loki and and now Gamora and Nebula? How did they end up in the Marvel universe? Are they creations of yours, or are you writing stories for uh, about characters that already existed? I'm drafting off hundreds of years, thousands of years, really, of history with Loki. Um, Loki Loki came into the the Marvel universe, I think, in the fifties or sixties. I, I haven't talked about Loki in a while, so I'm a little rusty on my dates and my names on that one. Um, but but Loki, Loki's been part of the Marvel Universe for a long time. Gamora and Nebula are also not my original characters. They were created by, by other writers. Um, but their sort of most, most current iteration uh, is very, very different from the versions of them that first appeared in, in the 70s. And, and how did you end up in the Marvel Universe? <laughs> um, what's my origin story as a yeah story? yeah exactly um, my origin story and i was at the right place at the right time essentially um i i also write young adult historical fiction 
and I had had a series come out, or it's still in, still finishing, it's not quite done yet. Um, the first book was called The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue, and it had just come out um, right at the same time that um, an editor at Marvel Press had just pitched, uh, she wanted to edit a, she wanted to hire someone to write a series about anti-heroes in the Marvel Universe as teens. Um, she wanted it to have a little bit of a historical bend to it. And she'd gotten it approved right at the same time she was reading Gentleman's Guide and, and said, this is, this is the person I want to do it, and this is the voice we want to bring to Marvel. And um, I got an email one day from my agent that said, hypothetically, would you be interested in writing for Marvel? And I said, boy, this better not be a hypothetical because that would be an incredibly cool trick. Um, and, yeah, so it was, it was a lot of hard work for a long time without knowing that this is what I was working towards and then, and then good luck and good timing. How familiar were you with these with these characters before writing these first uh, these first two books and um, and and did you how much better did you have to get to know them to then write about them? <laughs> I certainly felt like I knew them well until I started digging into the research <laughs> and the history and tried to read seventy years worth of comics in a week and a half. Um, I, I was a Marvel fan. Well, the guy I, at the comic book wanted... store must love you. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I see. I have a dealer at Marvel, so they just come to me. They just oh. come to me right for free. It's excellent. One of the one of the many perks of this job is free comic books. See, now I um, feel bad for the guy at the comic book store. I know. I, I should go <laughs> buy some just to keep him in business. Speaking of speaking of comic book stores, though, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a comic reader so badly, and I would go to comic book stores in my neighborhood, and just didn't know how to. I didn't know how to read comic books. I'd pick up these these issues, and they'd be in the middle of a story, and I didn't know who these characters were, and I didn't know where to start the story. And everyone else in there was was like a guy in his forties with a ponytail, and <laughs> everything about comic books just kind of told me like these are not for you. Um, and they were, I mean, they were very male-dominated at the time in terms of both the characters and the people who were reading them. And I just, I didn't know how to be a comic book reader. And so when the Marvel movies started coming out, for, for me, in, in the way that for a lot of people, I think it, it gave us a common language. It gave us sort of a foundation for a lot of these characters and these stories and, and made us then go want to seek out more. And, and I, I started reading comics as an adult and, uh, started reading them before I got this project but then ended up reading a ton more after I after I started working on this project um and and you think it's the the movies that um that bridged gender for uh for Marvel I don't know if the, it was the movies necessarily I think it was uh the, the movies created a wider audience and the movies proved that it was not just men who were interested in these kind of stories. And Marvel has been very smart to to take advantage of that and to, to see that and to, to look at their look at their numbers and see that they have women who are interested in these stories and then hire female creators and, and hire diverse voices to to tell more diverse stories within the comic book world and, and to expand the narratives they're telling. Um, so I think the movies maybe proved that there was a there was an audience that wasn't just those forty uh, year old comic book guys with ponytails, um, but and and especially the fact that they've now diversified across so many platforms that there are there are video games and podcasts and and prose novels and children's books. All of those things too have have paved the way for a lot more creators from a lot of different backgrounds to bring their voices to the to the universe. Um, 
Are there? Well, I've done. Are there a lot? Uh, are there? Well, not a lot, but are are there several or or hopefully many women that are that are creating these stories now? There are certainly a lot more than there used to be. There's still not enough. It's still it's still a very male dominated industry. It's still a very white male dominated industry. But we're definitely seeing change, and we're seeing progress in the right direction. And I. I was really excited when I was brought onto this project. I sort of thought I would get a story outlined and they would tell me, okay, here's what we want you to write, write exactly that book. And instead they really wanted to collaborate with me and they wanted me to bring my own unique voice and perspectives. And like they hired me to, to write these books as Mackenzie Lee would write them, not to write like a generic Marvel boilerplate. And I think they're doing that with a lot of creators. And so the more, the more diverse creators that they bring in, the more we, we get this diversity of story and the more that becomes, becomes the norm how how long a series do you anticipate this will be three books ten books i'm contracted to do three i have no idea if we'll if we'll talk about doing more after there's no shortage of anti-heroes in the marvel universe so (laughs) that's true um you you can't really have a hero without an anti-hero which brings me to, to the next point um you know the title of the book is Gamora and Nebula Sisters in Arms and that sounds like you know two sisters working side by side but that's not necessarily the storyline is it <laughs> no it's not it's about it's about the long arduous process they get they they take to even consider working side by side cuz they actually start out kind of at odds don't they they are. They're they're very much rivals, and so they've they've both been raised as the adopted daughters to this um, this crazy warlord who's who's raised them literally to be weapons for his his mission to to wipe out humanity, um, and they've they've sort of been raised in this bubble where they've been told a lot of things without ever having any kind of outside verification whether or not that's true or whether it's reality or it's just something someone's telling them a lot is the truth. Um, specifically, their, their father. Um, and so what they're starting to realize over the course of this book is that they, I mean, they know they have this rivalry and they've been told their whole lives, like, don't, don't, don't relax because whatever you do, Gamora's right behind you. Nebula's right behind you. And Nebula's always being told sort of like, you're not as good as Gamora. And Gamora's always being told, you got to stay hungry. You got to stay ahead of Nebula. Um, you got to stay in my number one spot. Um, and so once they kind of get outside the sphere of influence of their dad and their, in this book, they're on their own, they're on a, uh, an assignment to this strip mine planet that they have to retrieve the heart of the planet and they're kind of at first working against each other and then they both start to recognize that all these things they have been told are are to keep them to keep them ignorant and to keep them in line and to keep them from teaming up with each other and to keep them from realizing how much more powerful they would be if they worked together as opposed to to work on opposite sides um, so the book is about them realizing that and then trying to learn how to trust each other and to break down these sort of years of, of prejudice and um, years of, of hatred they've, they've built up for each other kind of arbitrarily um, and learn to work together. Did, um, did you get to pick which anti-heroes that you wanted to bring to life? I definitely got a say in it. Um, I they they came to me with the series pitch, and Loki was always the first book, which I I love Loki. I probably would have I would have absolutely gone in for him anyway. I probably would have pitched him if they'd given me <laughs> given me an option. Um, 
but yeah, with Nebula and Gamora, so we sort of came in, they said, we're going to do three books, Loki will be the first one, and then we'll see what happens. And they were kind of waiting to see what characters were really popping with fans and if there were, you know, if there, if there, was, there were any standouts or anything that people really wanted to see more of. And um, I think Gamora and Nebula both really popped out in, in the last two Avengers movies and people were really interested in them. Um, and so my, my editor brought me the idea. She said, are you interested in writing about Gamora and Nebula? And I said, yes, absolutely, yes. Um, they also were standout characters for me. Um, so I, I definitely got to be a, a collaborator in, in deciding which characters I was going to write about and which other side characters, because they're, they're not the only two sort of established Marvel characters in there. The, in the book, there's um, the Grandmaster makes an appearance and Thanos makes an appearance. And uh, if for deep cuts, there's the Universal Church of Truth is involved. And um, so, so I, got to, I got to bring in sort of those side characters as well. Mackenzie, did you have to immerse yourself in the dark side to write about anti-heroes or to write <laughs> I'm from always their point of view? In the dark side. No, I mean, I mean, that's part of a writer's job is to live to live truthfully and imagine circumstances. Um, and so, I, I don't carry a ton of it with me into my real life. Um, the most my the most my writing affects my real life is when I'm depressed because I missed a deadline or I can't work out a plot hole or something. It's, well, sure. It's not usually because I because I get involved in the dark side of the characters. Is um, if you had a choice, would you rather write heroes or antiheroes? I think antiheroes, um, because here we we have we're sort of trained that we have this predictable characterization with it with a traditional hero that you know at some point they're going to be faced with a choice and you know that it's going to be hard but they're going to choose the right thing and they're going to do the the capital r right thing um and with anti-heroes you never quite know and you never quite know whose side they're on and and that can be really exciting for a reader and it's it's, it's exciting for a writer too because you can kind of pull the rug out from under your readers in a really interesting unexpected way but I think also most of us identify more closely with anti-heroes because we, we look at those choices, the big choices the hero makes where they either save the world or save the person they love most and they choose to save the world. And we all hope we would make that choice, but I think a lot of us know we wouldn't. And a lot of us know we're inherently kind of selfish, garbage people. Um, <laughs> and so I think all of us would be anti-heroes in, in our own cinematic universe. And, and so those characters appeal to us too because there's there's so much humanity in infallibility i think does it present any any special challenges writing for anti-heroes because a lot of times storytelling includes some flaw in the character that they have to make right by the end um right and, and what about anti-heroes do they don't they don't have to cure their anti-hero they don't have to they don't have to cure it but i think they have to recognize this thing about themselves um and so with with in the first book with loki a lot of the thrust of the book is that he's sort of uh accidentally witnessed a, a prophecy about himself and his own sort of villainous inherently villainous nature and so he knows that this is a facet of his character he knows that he's kind of sneaky and unheroic and everybody thinks of him this way and so he has to decide whether or not he wants to lean into that or actively fight against it um 
And so I think it's it's maybe not with antiheroes, it's maybe not overcoming the their flaws, but it's it's becoming aware of them and then choosing to to lean into them um, and to lean into sort of that that darker side of themselves. Um, I think the real challenge of writing antiheroes sometimes is getting getting the audience to root for them because um, often they do really really terrible things, um, and that's part of what makes them make, that puts the anti an antihero. Um, and it can be hard to root for somebody who like murders people <laughs> um and so that's that was the biggest challenge for me was was uh maintaining the humanity of the characters so that the readers would would keep rooting for them even when and so that even when the character is making choices that the reader doesn't agree with they understand why that choice is being made um this this is fascinating is it too soon to ask uh who's next I would love to tell you, but the Marvel sniper sitting across the room from me would have to kill me. <laughs> I had a feeling that it might be <laughs> Sometimes, because books take a while to come out, you're far enough along in the process that, you know, you can share what you're working on next. But yeah. do, you, do you work on more than one thing at a time, or do you like to get something completely finished before starting into the next thing? I would prefer to work on one thing at a time, but deadlines and, and paychecks necessitate that I that I usually am juggling a couple of projects simultaneously. Um, and the funny thing, too, about books is that by the time I'm talking about a book, by the time it comes out, I haven't worked on that book in probably a year, and I'm, I've moved on to the next thing. So I'm, as we're talking, I when I tell you I desperately want to tell you who the third book is about, I, I really mean it because I'm in the middle of writing that book and that's what's on my brain right now. Um, I've spent I've spent this whole day doing interviews and I'm just like I feel like I'm on alert the whole time, being like, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Um, so it can be it can be sort of a very odd um, uh, time warp to have to talk about a book that you haven't worked on or or even read in like a year when you're working on something else pretty actively. Well, what about the the process of coming out with a book on the heels of uh, you know the pandemic? Um, are you able to get out and and meet people, or as part of the the release of the book? And you know, I mean, I know you're doing this interview and other radio interviews, and and, and probably Skype and Zoom and so on. But are you able to interact with uh, with readers and fans? Yes, but I've had to be more creative about how I do it. Um, I'm not doing any in-person events for this book. Everything is is happening online. Um, and so it's required sort of a, a new degree of, yeah, of creativity and thinking outside the box because you still want to, you still want to talk to people and you want to connect with people. And that's always sort of the, the gratifying part at the end of, of the arduous process of writing a book is then getting to talk to the people who are actually reading it and loving it. Um, and so trying to find ways to, to keep that connection without actually having a physical in-person event has been, has been tricky, but also has been really kind of cool in that I now have events that anyone in the world can attend, whereas before it was dictated by what city you lived in and whether you could get work off and whether you get a babysitter and you could afford to get into the city and all these different things. Now it's, in lots of cases, it's, it's a free Zoom event that anybody can come to. And so it's it's a different kind of connection, but but it's it's I would say just as valuable. It's just, it's just different and new, and um, has been has been a, a learn as you go experience for all of us. I think. Uh, 
Now, I, I'm tempted to ask about some of your previous books because you're kind of young to have published as many award-winning fiction and nonfiction titles as as you have. Um, first, let's let's start with how you decided or when you decided that you wanted to be a writer and and then I want to talk about um, whether or not you would uh, have included Gamora and Nebula in your bygone badass broads book. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to talk to you all day. I have another interview scheduled in about three minutes though so we're going to have oh, to no. do a slightly abbreviated version. Oh no. Um, I know I'm so sorry. Um, but uh to, to answer the question of becoming a writer, I have always wanted to be a storyteller. I, I was initially in school to be a historian and then got sort of redirected by a professor who said my, my writing seemed more suited to historical fiction. And then I ended up getting an MFA in writing for children and young adults. Um, and from there sort of merged history and writing together and have started writing historical fiction and nonfiction. Um, I don't know if being a writer was ever something I consciously sat down and said, this is what I want to do. I don't think it was ever anything I wrote on one of those, like, kindergarten, what do you want to be when you grow up tests. It was just something I always did, and it took a long time to recognize that it was something I could do as a career. Well, be sure and come back when you can talk about the uh, about the next book. And before we sign, I would love to. And, and before we sign off, Mackenzie, I always give guests an opportunity, whether we go short or long, <laughs> to share how uh, listeners might find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do. It's MackenzieLee.com. That's M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-L-E-E.com. Um, and the book, Gamora, actually all the books, but the most relevant to our conversation today, the Gamora and Nebula, Sisters in Arms, is currently on sale wherever books are sold. I would encourage people to get it through their local independent retailer if they can. Um, but it is it is on sale across all uh, book-selling platforms. Yeah, and on your way to and from the bookstore, stop by the comic book store. That guy's lonely. Yeah, tell that guy <laughs> hi. Tell him I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, Mackenzie, it's been a delight talking with you, and I look forward to the... It was so lovely to talk to you. And and I look forward to the next time we can uh, chat and maybe get more of the Mackenzie origin story. <laughs> Sounds good. Take care. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. That was uh, Mackenzie Lee. She is a New York Times bestselling author and uh, the author of uh, the second book in the hit series featuring anti-heroes from the Marvel Universe, Gamora and Nebula. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Old-fashioned radio For a new Generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. 
The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Lunar Chronicles series, as well as the graphic novel Wires and Nerve, Volume 1, and the Lunar Chronicles coloring book. Her first standalone novel, Heartless, was also a number one New York Times bestseller. She lives in Tacoma, Washington with her husband and two daughters. She has a new book called Arch Enemies. It's the uh, second, I believe, in a uh, uh, trilogy and uh, she joins me now by phone, Marissa Meyer. Marissa, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Um, it just in, you know, very, very quickly, um, this is superhero stuff. It is superhero stuff. Not, yes, indeed. Not often tackled by women. Yeah, um, you know, we're out there. It's not completely unheard of, uh, but it is definitely, it has been a male-dominated genre for a long time. Can we say that it's, that it's growing, that it's, that it's changing, and you're evidence of that? Or did you want to uh, foray into an area that had historically been dominated by men? Or do you just love superheroes? <laughs> Mostly, I just love superheroes. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of women and a lot of girls have loved superheroes for a long time, and I think uh, the creators and the media are just now becoming aware of that fact. Um, I know, like, when I was growing up, I would always steal my brother's X-Men comics and, you know, <laughs> read them, and I loved them. And who doesn't love superheroes? Uh, but at the time... Like, even back then, I think I recognized that they were intended for boys, like my brother, but I, I was enjoying them every bit as much. But that was, you know, as I look at superheroes and the way they evolved, they were a lot like, uh, like, like the old Western heroes, you know, the, the Lone Ranger or the, the Town Marshal or, um, you know, cowboys and, and that right. sort of thing. They a they, little bigger than reality. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a preference for um, how a superhero comes to be considered a superhero? Is it, you know, strange visitors from a planet far away or uh, people who had been bitten by a radioactive spider? Or <laughs> right, fell into a vat of sludge. Yeah, right, and comes out with these, <laughs> you know can burn things with their eyes and stuff. Um, right. How, how do you like to, to treat the origin of a superhero? Yeah, so I've, in my series, uh, have done a lot of thinking about the origins of the different characters, and I've tried to bring in a number of different types of the variation story. You know, some people are born with it. 
um, but some people develop their powers after experiencing some like, life trauma that kind of ignited it within them. Uh, some people find a super-powered object that then bestows these powers on them. Uh, so I like to play around with lots of different options. I'm, I'm reminded of Jack Nicholson's Joker saying, where does he get those magnificent toys? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the great things about Batman is that, you know, on some level, because he doesn't actually have superpowers, there's a bit of us to think, well, if I had all those toys, I could also be a superpower. Well, yeah, it, it's... Um, are, are, are your superheroes... Uh, do they, do, first of all, do they have a uh, uh, a secret identity, and are they all wealthy? <laughs> <laughs> they are definitely not all wealthy. Although there's there's an hierarchy uh, among the characters, just as there is in real life. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have lots of of different characters who come from different backgrounds. Uh, who have a variety of different powers and all kind of trying to navigate this world among them and determine who's going to be the heroes and who falls into the villain category and what, are the, what does that actually mean to be a hero or to be a villain? Um, is it important... Um, well, I, I want to go in so many different directions and, and our time is, is tight, but Marissa, with superheroes... Um, they seem to be growing in popularity, as witnessed by the, the rise of Marvel Studios, and and you know they've they've literally leapt or flown from the pages of uh, comic books or funny books, as my friend Randy Zimmerman likes to call them, um, <laughs> to the big screen, and and they've become a huge part of popular culture. They're more popular than they've ever been, and I'm talking about superheroes now. Um, is it because times are really stressful and, and as a result of their popularity, and I'm asking two questions at the same time, are they, is it important that superheroes be reflective of the population, the audience? Should there be more women? Should there, you know, we we just saw the the blockbuster release of Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Should it should they be more diverse? I think it's incredibly important to show more diversity in our superheroes. Uh, and I was just on a panel with a wonderful YA author, uh, Tokyo Nyobuchi, who um, is a, an African American gentleman, and he and I were talking about like when he was growing up. There just weren't any superheroes that he could look to uh, that, that reminded him of himself. Um, for me, as a girl, you know, there was Wonder Woman. Uh, the X-Men had Rogue and Storm. Um, and it was so important to me to see these characters, these incredibly strong, you know, self-controlled, self-powerful, empowered women, uh, and to feel like, you know, I could be that. It doesn't have to always be Superman. It doesn't always have to be... Uh, Batman or the Green Lantern or whoever, uh, that I, too, could could control my destiny and could be a hero uh, and make a difference in the world. And I think it's so important for especially young people and children and teenagers to be able to see themselves reflected in these characters uh, and to know that 
you know, everyone has the potential to to be heroic, to show heroism in their life. I think that's that's a really important part of uh, you know pop culture and the literature that we're putting out in, in all of it. Do superheroes uh, need to be conflicted? I don't think they need to be. Um, I think as a, a writer who writes fiction, all characters are a little bit more interesting when they have some internal conflict. Uh, and certainly stories and plot lines, you know, we need to have some conflict and some tension uh, to make things more interesting. Uh, and I know in me writing this series, the characters are constantly battling between good and evil. And what does that mean exactly to be good, to be a hero, to be a villain? Uh, and so I know I play around with that a lot in my, my superhero characters and trying to figure out where are those boundaries, and sometimes they shift. I, I suppose a, a character named Captain Passive would be kind of dull. Yeah, nobody <laughs> wants to read that just, story. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go out and stop some crime and stuff. And yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I feel like it. <laughs> maybe they'll come to me. Well, Marissa, I, I know the time is tight, and I know you got to get on to another interview, but... Um, just very, very quickly, I like to give uh, listeners an opportunity to know where they can find out more about you and about your writing. Do you have a website? I do, marissameyer.com or theuniverseofmarissameyer.com. Marissa, thank you so much. My Great pleasure. Thanks for you. having me. All right. Bye-bye. That was uh, Marissa Meyer, number one New York Times bestselling author. Um, and... and uh, from the Lunar Chronicles series and now this uh, uh, new series which uh, features her first book, Renegades, and now the new Arch Enemies. We're going to take a uh, short break. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Yeah. 
two pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.